So our text comes to us from the Gospel of St. Luke, Luke chapter 6. And Luke records for us that looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, because great is your reward in the heavens, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets who came before you. But woe to you who are rich, for you all have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when everybody speaks well about you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets who came before you. But to you who are listening this afternoon, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. And if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even, even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High Creator, because the Creator is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be compassionate, just as our Creator is compassionate. So normally, when a preacher like myself gets a text like this, we labor for hours and hours and hours during the week preceding, trying to figure out how can we water down these words? How can we make them palatable? Because they are not. How can we make them easier? Because they are nigh on impossible to let alone hear, let alone if we were to actually try to do this stuff. I had a preacher friend once who said, you know, it's so much easier 
to worship Jesus than to obey him. And I think a text like this uh, validates that observation. So let me assure you, in no way am I going to try to water this stuff down. Well, let's take this first verse, for example. Uh, uh, Luke records for us in chapter 6, verse 20, Blessed are you who are poor. Now, what parallel universe is Jesus from? I don't know about you. I've seen poor people. I've even gotten close to poverty a few times. There was no blessing in that. That would, and, and so what a preacher like me will do, well, we'll compare this to the uh, Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And, and we'll say, well, well, Luke, unlike Matthew, just forgot to record, blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke forgot to add those words like Matthew didn't forget. Luke forgot. And so what Jesus really meant was not really blessed are poor people, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so we try to... Uh, contextualize it to make it not so crazy as it sounds. But I have come to believe that Jesus absolutely means blessed are the poor. In my work as a hospice chaplain, I view many of the people that I visit as the poor who are dying. Many are laying on a hospital bed or a cot. They have just a few trinkets in their room either in some kind of a nursing facility or a memory care unit. There may be a couple of photographs. There may be some plastic flowers in a vase. Uh, there's a, probably a calendar with people Xing the days off like a prisoner of how many days they And so they don't have a lot of possessions. There's a few scant pieces of clothes, but when you don't get out of bed anymore to even toilet, you don't need a lot of clothing. And so many, many of the people that I visit are poor, don't have a lot. And Jesus says, blessed are the, the poor. Well, here's the way I, I make some sense out of these very difficult words for us this afternoon. I have read the Bible. I've been a student of the Bible for well over 50 years. I have read cover to cover at least a minimum of six times, even through Numbers and Leviticus. I read through them. Even the parts in the Old Testament where all the pages are stuck together because nobody bothers to look. I've read those at least six times. And I honestly believe, as I share with you this afternoon, I am on safe ground when I can say, and I have a doctorate, by the way, so... You know, I, I, so I, I'm not just uh, somebody that picked up the book and took something out of context. But I think I'm on very safe ground when I can honestly say to you, in the more than 50 years that I've studied the book, I've practiced it being a Christian, I've done all kinds of studies and work and ministry, there is nothing more important to God, at least in the Bible, than relationships. The whole book is about relationships between us and each other, between us and the creator, between us and the climate, between us and animals. It, it, the entire book is about relationships. 
And it seems if we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, then we have to believe that there is nothing more important in your life and my life than relationships to God. Those are what are most important to this divine being who created us. And it seems to me, as I've read so much and studied so much, that often what we try to do, particularly in North America in the 21st century, being well on, on the face of the planet today, of the 7 billion human beings, we are among the wealthiest. Uh, we are certainly in the top 5% when it comes to creature comforts of everybody breathing air on this planet right at this moment. I, I have read, I have not been able to verify it, I've read that two-thirds of the people that go, on, go to bed at night on the planet Earth have little belief they will be alive by the next evening, either because of starvation or war or disease we don't have those thoughts too much, by and large. And so what we have compensated for in our culture is to have relationships with money because, well, you can control money. You can tell it what to do. You can spend it when you want. You can do with it what you want. And so our culture is obsessed with finances and what's your portfolio and how much do you have all of that stuff, that's, that's how we identify the, the worth or the value of another human being. How much money have you made or do you contribute? Or, and, and that seems to have little, if any, importance to our creator. And so our culture right now is reeling from our obsession with having relationships with money as opposed to with each other. And relationships with each other is what's most important to the one who made us and who loves us and who walks this way with us. Now, I read a line in a book earlier this year that has sort of just rocked me for a loop. You know how you're going along and read something and it, I can't get rid of this. It's a book written by a Catholic theologian, a Catholic priest named John Donne, not the famous poet from the Middle Ages, but a, a contemporary theologian at Notre Dame University. In his book, The Way of All the Earth, he had this simple line that so stunned me. I've got it now on my desktop on my computer because it, it, was, it just shook me. And he said this, what if death is not an interruption to life, but rather life's destination. So many of the people I meet in my work as a hospice chaplain, why me? Why is this happening? I've been with a, a lady that was 105 years old. What did I do wrong? Why is this happening to me? I can remember I looked at it and said, what do you think was going to happen? You're 105. But we think life, or death rather, is an interruption to our living, where what Father Dunn seems to indicate, it's not an interruption, it's our destination. And so when you know you're going to be somewhere that you can't avoid, 
How do you live to prepare for that destination? How do you live in such a way to prepare for where you and I, all of us know we're going to go? It's the grave. There's no getting out of that. So how do we prepare for that? And I think that's where the words of Jesus are so cogent for me. When Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, as I've thought about it, something that poor people I meet in my work, I have to honestly tell you, generally die much easier than rich people. Because poor people have had to spend so much of their life learning to depend on others. Poor people are well aware, I'm not independent of the welfare of other people. I need other people just to exist. The poor are well aware of that. Now, many of us are not. We're under the illusion, well, I've got my bank account, I've got my IRA, I've got uh, people that I can pay to do this and that, got my comfort. But poor people don't have that luxury. And, And Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor. And the word blessed there is similar to Aristotle's eudaimonia, which is flourishing, fully alive, vibrant, because the poor are well aware of how much they need each other. The reality is, as human beings, we're all needy, all of us. Some of us are better at hiding it than others, but the fact is we're all needy, and at the end, when we get to our destination. We're very needy. We need people to help us toilet. We need people to feed us. We need people to change our clothing. We need people to give us medicines. We're very needy. And the more we can invest now, not in financial relationships, but in human relationships, will make that time when we come to our destination easier. The more we invest in human relationships now, loving people, being generous to them, caring for them, sharing with what we have, so that when the time comes, we will need that, there will be people who want to be there to help me at my destination. For me as a hospice chaplain, I've got to tell you, the the saddest thing is when I go visit folks that nobody wants to be around. They don't want to be bothered. They don't want to come see them anymore. They don't want to have care for them. Too busy. Got too much to do. And so they're alone. And then the family will often call and say, you go visit them. You're paid. You go. To help ease their mind. It's incredibly sad. So I think Jesus is spot on when he says, blessed are the poor. If we learn to be poor, realizing how needy we are and how much we need other people in our life to love and to care for and to share life with. When we come to our destination, maybe, just maybe, it'll be a little easier. And he goes on to say, blessed are you who are hungry now because they learn to share food. When you're hungry, you share. You have to so that we can all make it together. There's so much wisdom in all of this. And Jesus says, love your enemies. Don't be mean to folks. Who knows? You may need them sometime. It's a radical way of of recasting 
life as we know it in this time and this place. But I think there is great wisdom here to help us. For that time when we will come, as we all will, to our destination. So as I thought about what I would share with you, look, right now tensions are high, people are upset, there's all kinds of things going on. But the more we can invest in loving, in caring, in sharing with the human beings that we care for, I think that's the greatest wisdom we can do right now. And I think that's the heart of what Jesus was speaking about in these incredible, difficult words. So may we not only have ears to hear, but the courage to actually try and live the wisdom of the one we call teacher and Lord and master, Jesus. Amen. For a closing benediction, I have a thought from a a Providence doctor, uh, I think, either up in the Portland or Washington area. He's very famous, Ira Bayok, who's a very famous hospice doctor, MD. And in one of his books, he shares this. Years ago, anthropologist Margaret Mead was asked by a student what she considered to be the first sign of civilization in a culture. And the student expected Dr. Mead to talk about fish hooks or clay pots or grinding stones, that kind of stuff. But no, Mead said the first sign of civilization in ancient culture was a femur, a thigh bone, that had been broken and then healed. And Mead explained that in the animal kingdom, if you break your leg, you die. You can't run from danger. You can't get to the river for drink, or you can't hunt for food. You are simply meat for prowling beasts. No animal survives a broken leg long enough for a bone to heal. A broken femur that is healed is evidence that someone has taken time to stay with the one who fell, has bound up the wound, has carried the person to safety, and has tended the person through recovery. Helping someone else live through difficulty is where civilization starts, Margaret Mead said. We are at our best when we serve others. May we go forth and be civilized this day. Amen.